0: So, yeah, it's as Peter said, it's the first Sunday of 2018. I didn't think we'd get to 2018. I hoped we wouldn't get to 2018. When I was about 14 years old, I prayed, I, I thought it through, and I thought, in 2000, I'll be 41. So I will probably be married, and I probably will have had all my children if I have any children. So, okay, Jesus. <laughs> Please come back around 2000. That would just be perfect. Super, super selfish prayer. Uh, And it didn't happen. We're still here. We're still waiting. So obviously, there's a a lot more uh, men and women and children that God wants to bring into his kingdom before Jesus comes back. So here we are uh, pushing forward. We, uh, could you put up that prophetic slide? Last Sunday, if you weren't with us or if you were, At the end of the gathering, we asked God to speak to us and we had a quiet time of prayer. We did some listening prayer and we just asked for God to give us an impression or image or words, just hints about 2018 and what he might do. These are the things that were shared by people within the group and if you shared something and you don't see it up there, please remind me. But we want to put this up week to week and just see how this plays out. Most often when God gives us prophetic words or thoughts he's simply telling us what he's going to do and it doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot for us to do about it other than to pay attention to recognize when his word is fulfilled and so that's what these things are and these are the words we heard the words in all caps were primarily what was said I kind of built a sentence around them but we heard words of building endurance and courage and vulnerability that God has called us in particular to pay attention to the next generation That being your children and and even middle school age children. Uh, Just a a word to trust him this year. And also there was a special word about God creating a brotherhood among our men. Uh, We were reviewing the year in slides and saw a lot of pictures of the women getting together. And just affirmed that God has established or is establishing a healthy sisterhood among our women. But that our men uh, need some brotherhood. And then also there was a word about a clear day. And today, uh, as we jump into the scriptures, that's where I want to focus. So what we're going to do with the month of January is talk about that big story again, the story that we covered in December uh, through the Advent. We talked about the story of God and people. And I want to share the story with you in more detail through the month. So yeah, Kevin, let's move forward. Uh, And here are some questions that, that we will be addressing. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? We're going to totally solve that one today. (laughs) What is the story of humanity? Is there a story that includes everyone? How do all the pieces fit together? Some of us have been in church and Sunday school and sung songs and heard sermons, and we have a lot of pieces to our understanding of God and ourselves and God's plan. How do they all fit together? And then how do we live well inside the story? Believe it or not, I want to spend this month helping us feel comfortable with these questions and having some answers. They're incomplete, they're not whole, but I believe if we can remind each other this month about answers to these questions, and if we can even take all of us a little bit deeper and clarify your understanding that these answers can ground you in daily life. And we're going to draw, we're going to take us from the beginning of time to today and tomorrow and the next day, making a connection between God, Father, Son, and Spirit, His divine plan, and humanity down to Sherwood or Tigard or Tualatin or Newburgh or wherever you live, and 2018. And that that plan still connects tremendously with the lives that we live today. So, Let me remind you of the story, the story of God and people. It's a simple story, and it basically comes out in four movements or four acts or four parts. As we said before, the first one is creation, where God begins human life. And I want to clarify, I call this the story of God and people, because there must be a story of God that goes before the story, but we haven't been told that story. We don't know what it is. So the story of God is definitely bigger than the story we're talking about today. We're talking about specifically the story of God and human beings or people. And within our story, it began with creation, and that's where we'll we'll be today most of the day. And then we know that it moves from there to corruption because of the choice of humanity. But then God has a plan, and from the very beginning begins to work out this plan of redemption. And then ultimately, his promise and his plan is for new creation. And again, scripturally, we say that Creation takes just a couple of chapters. They're amazing chapters. They're huge chapters. But just chapters one and two of Genesis. Corruption and redemption are the back and forth of the rest of the scriptures and the rest of life. This is light and darkness. This is good and evil. Uh, This is failure and success. And it's this wrestling between corruption and this hope of redemption. And then there's this promise that we see throughout the scriptures, but there's a beautiful description of it in the last two chapters of. Our, uh, of Revelation, and it's called the new creation. And so that's where it ends. So today, we want to cover creation and corruption. So I have a question for you. What did God create? Us. Okay, us, humans. Yeah, what else? Choice, Choice. yeah, free will. And the earth. Yeah, the skies, the earth. And we understand the heavens to be the sky specifically because heaven, the heavens existed before creation. So Genesis talks about the heavens meaning sky or atmosphere, the earth. What else? You guys have a long way to go. There's a lot of answers to the questions. So. Oh, just from all over the place. Yeah, Genesis is the best source though. Yes, relationship with God. Yeah. A planet full of animals. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Keep going. Yes. Right. He, he said, let us make humans in our image. And so those are all things that come from God, right? Expressions of art, music, beauty. Science, yes, absolutely. What else? Languages. Yeah, languages. Yeah, that's a really curious part in Genesis. Like, did Adam just start talking? You know, what, what went on there uh, to God? Were those audible things? Were they telepathic things? You know, obviously, when Eve came along, conversations started happening. Yeah, gosh, so many questions to ask, right, <laughs> when the answers become available. Yeah, Let me read a little bit of Genesis for you just to fill out what you've been saying. Uh, Chapter 1. You may want to look it up. It won't be on the screen, so just look in your own Bible or just listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just as Kevin said, the earth was without form. It was void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So a dark planet of, of water. And God said in the midst of this, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good. And God separated light from darkness. God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And there's some theory that what God created was actually in the beginning a canopy of water over the globe, that we actually lived in something of a greenhouse, and so he created sky and pushed water down into the sea and water up into clouds and created this canopy that protected us from the sun and just gave a a diffused light. And God said, verse 11, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit with their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit, each with their seed according to their kind. And God said, uh, and there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Something that maybe we don't recognize very often in that particular day of creation, God actually created seasons and rhythms and days and months and years. Those, all of those rhythms are seen in the stars, in the sky. So we know it's day because the sun comes out. We know it's night because the moon is out. We know where we are because the moon has a cycle, and every 28 days it completes a cycle, which roughly coincides with what we call months. And then we know there's such a thing as years. So God not only created light and sun and moon and stars, but he created rhythms, and we love those rhythms. That's why, that's why I live in the Northwest, because the rhythms are here, right? So spring is a season of beginning and of life and of newness. Summer is a season of flourishing, where things take off and become amazing, and Growth happens, and we plant seeds and water them and watch them grow. And then the fall is a time where things are harvested, things come to fruition. And then winter that we're in now is a time of rest. It's a time where the earth rests, the ground rests, the trees rest. They go dormant, and we rest. It's a beautiful cycle. And if we live well, we live in that cycle. And we allow our days and our, and our quarters, our seasons to change month to month in, in synchronization with science, because that's, that's the way God made it for us. I want to mention to you, too, this uh, something I just learned this week as I was studying. You know, Genesis tells the creation story twice, once in chapter 1 and once in chapter 2. And one of the beautiful distinctions that I had never seen before I read this actually yesterday is that Genesis 1, above everything else, is primarily about the creation of time, which I just explained to you. Uh, there was no time, there was no rhythm, and God created time. And created a rhythm of time in seasons and days and nights. And so that's why as you read through chapter 1, there's a lot of references to time. He says there was morning and there was evening the first day, the second day, the third day. He said there were seasons. And so the big concept in Genesis 1 is actually God creating time and a rhythm in time for humanity. Chapter 2 is about God creating a place. And so most of the references in that creation account are all about somewhere. It says God created a garden a place. And then men moved out east of Eden. and All of it's about the earth and geographical references. So in chapter 1, creation of time. In chapter 2, the creation of place. And those are the biggest concepts that we have that God has created for us. Both a place and a time. So, Give me that next slide there. Thank you, Kevin. What has God created? I kind of summed it up in four things, and you said all of these things. And so these are the four categories that I would put them in. First of all, he created a a place, which is a home. And that's where we live, this planet that we live on. Uh, As I was contemplating this all week long, I kind of got a little bit sad about where we live, among concrete and buildings and so much that we've built Uh, when God created a home that actually was much more open and had natural light because it was all light and so much that he created. But he really created a home for humans. And in that home, he created an experience. And that's where we have daily life. That's where we have relationships. That's where we have work. Uh, And we are still living in the goodness of what God created. The one thing that I want to bring home to you in this moment and in this few minutes right now is the fact that what God created is still fully functioning. Uh, I I think sometimes, at least I think, I feel like what God created is highly diminished and that most of what he created has been fully corrupted and ruined. But that's actually not true. Uh, He created things that have sustained for thousands of years. So we still have vegetation. We still have trees. We still have humans. We still have animals. He created a life that actually is very sustaining and it's been sustained in the midst of all the corruption. It still continues. So every generation that has ever been born has still been able to see and receive and participate in creation just as God intended. So in one way, things are not as bad as some of us might think. Does that make sense? We can actually live some pretty amazing days, especially here, of course, in North America because of of our wealth. But we can experience creation pretty significantly uh, in all of its beauty and its power and its rush and its rhythms and all that there is to enjoy. God created life. And then as you mentioned, Teresa, he created relationship both with God and with one another. So he created community. And then uh, again, Teresa, as you said, a partnership with God himself. So these are kind of the basic building blocks of life. And again, because of the power of God and the power of what he's created, These four things have been available to every generation. And so here we are again, thousands of years since it all began, having lived with thousands of years of corruption and destruction, and yet creation is still alive and well. And every life is able to be reborn into this experience, which I think is amazing, right? It's still here. We still get to experience it as we choose to. And like Dan said, we have choice. And we can either fully embrace the creation and fully engage in all of these things or not. But that is the life that we've been given. Now, part two of the story. Actually, before we do that, let's work through these four questions. I gave you these questions a couple months ago. And I said, whenever you're studying scripture, these are kind of four basic questions you can ask of any passage and really be able to take it apart well and get the things that are the most important out of the passage. Four questions being who is God? What has he done? Who are we and what are we to do? So I want to I want you to answer these questions now in light of the conversation that we just had. Don't go outside this conversation. So in Genesis 1 and 2 and in all that we talked about who is God? Creator. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> He's love. Okay. Yeah, and that we would need to unpack a little bit because we didn't even use that word. But how do you see love in Genesis 1 and 2? Goodness. And, uh, the purpose of creation. Yep. Everything is for us. For good. Yeah. Sorry? Protection. Protection. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And in that way, I would say maybe that God is sovereign. Uh, We haven't used that word either, but he is sovereign. He's the one who determines the plan and then provides everything for the plan, sets man and woman in the plan, and then gives them some instructions. So there's some sovereignty there. Yeah. Okay. And what has God done? Nick, what were you going to say? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yep. In these seasons and in these rhythms, be creative. Yeah. Could you reiterate some I could oh, yeah. Would you say that again a little louder? So as, as those who are made in the image of God, we get to do the things God does in a limited way, but still like what he did and in the way that he did. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so what has he done? He's created. Um, we kind of explained that already in everything you just said. So who are we? And Nick already got us started, but let's expand on what he said. Who are we as a result of who God is and what he's done? Go ahead and say the obvious thing. We are created. Okay. <laughs> okay. Very good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we are right to say that, that, you know, that we are the crown of creation and that honestly, everything else that was done before the day of human creation was for man, right? The food that grew was for man and animals. The animals that were present were for, for humans to appreciate. The seasons that he created for, was for humans to live in. And so really everything was created for us, right? Yeah. So we are the crown of his creation. We're the object of his creation. What else are we? Yeah, his family. So sons and daughters created in his image to do the kind of work that he did. What would you say about yourself specifically? How are you created in the image of God specifically? Created for okay. Yeah. For relationship. Sorry? Taking care of others. Care of others. Yeah. Yeah, there's this, isn't it interesting the way that God left Adam by himself for a while and had him go name all the animals? And while he was doing that, I'm sure he observed that the animals had companions, that they were in twos and threes and packs uh, and definitely in, you know, in pairs for procreation. And, and I think he was allowing Adam to see, this is my design, but I haven't given that to you yet. And then he creates Eve. What else? We were created so we know God. Yeah, part of the purpose, right? Meaning to life is to know God, to understand God. Have a relationship with God too, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a sense of fulfillment, yeah. of completion. I produced something, I made something, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Where do you experience creation the most fully in your life? When do you really just have that sense of, wow, God's creative power is amazing, and what I'm experiencing right now is pretty incredible? Yeah, when you're out in nature, really in touch with all the stuff that he made, right? The earth, the sky, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I would say, and the book I've been reading by Eugene Peterson lately says the same thing, that he says the most powerful, he believes the most powerful experience of creation on earth is the birth of a child and he actually as a grandfather (coughs) he grew up in a day when the man wasn't allowed to be there in the room he had to be out of the room but he had a a daughter-in-law who allowed him to come in because she knew this about him that he wasn't able to experience the birth of his own children so she invited him to experience the birth of one of his grandchildren and in that moment he confirmed man there is nothing more awe-inspiring and overwhelming and, and a true witness of creation than when a child is born. And I certainly remember that moment. I was 20 years old and got to be present with Tricia uh, when our firstborn Nathan came. And I remember that moment took my breath away for a while. <laughs> I, I saw him slip out and he didn't move and no, no, made no motion and no noise. And two seconds later, his arms flew back and he started to cry and whoa, that was that was incredible, that was amazing, uh, and then we, we actually have had six children, so we got to witness it a lot, and lately Tricia and I went back and looked at some video when we had our fifth child, I think, and some of our older kids were present, and not during the birth, but right after the birth, when the baby was still fresh, and after mom had calmed down a little bit, uh, and and the, their faces are amazing, because they're just, you can tell they're kind of like, whoa, what just <laughs> happened, you know? I mean, and, and we had had this child in our bedroom, actually, in our house. And so it, it made it very unique, uh, very, a part of our story uh, that the kids were right there. So, yeah, we get to witness creation again and again. So, so amazing. So that's who we are. So what do we do? We've already started answering this question as well. But what's, what are some other things that we do as created beings because of who God is and what he's done? Yeah. But like the moment that we see a child being born, I think what happened, what gets drawn out of us is worship. You know, Thank you. Wow. This is incredible. That's worship, right? Yeah. What else? Sorry? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard a, of a man lately, uh, he was off to work and he said to his wife, I'm going to go off and spend some time in creation today and just en- enjoy the glory of God. And she said, okay, well, see you tonight. So he did and then <clears throat> went out the next day on Tuesday and said the same thing, hey, I'm going to go out in God's creation today and just en- enjoy the glory of his creation. And then he started to do it a third day and his wife said, aren't you going to go to work this week? Wha-? What's her assumption at that point? Where's he going? He's going hiking somewhere. He's going into the West Hills, or he's driving up into the mountains, or he's going to the beach. And he said on that third day, no, honey, I'm just going to work every day. But he was reflecting on the reality that God's crowning creation is people, and he's going to ride the bus with a bunch of people around him, and he's going to go to work with human beings around him. And he was just making that turn and appreciating the fact that God's greatest creation, he was going to be in all day that day. And as I read that, I was like, oh, wow, I don't feel that way about some of the people I'm around and some of the days I spend. But what a healthy perspective. And so, some of you, how many of you love the People Watch? Yeah, most of you. Yeah, and isn't that kind of what it, I mean, sometimes we're looking for quirks and oddness and things worth Instagramming, but I would hope, I would hope most of the time we're looking at the beauty and the uniqueness of each of the people that's around us and what's going on. And that's certainly legitimate. We are also God's creation. Please. Such good words for kids, right? Yeah. You know, it might be good this week, uh, just as a piece of homework, for us to ask God to let us see for a little bit through his eyes as we're in a place where there are people. And ask him to uh, just give us a fresh lens and ask, you know, God, how did you create this person or that person? What, What did you put in there? How is this person beautiful? It seems as though our culture, and probably especially our social media culture, has us looking for certain things when we look at people. I mean, the most photographable and Instagrammable things are fails, <laughs> right? Awkward moments, um, things to be embarrassed about. And I think that's pushed us toward eyes that look for those things. Um, maybe, it, maybe it would be healthy to ask God for different eyes this week. Uh, as we are out about wherever you go and wherever you run into people, and say, God, let me see people differently. Let me see beauty. Let me see awesomeness. You guys ever have a chance to check out the videos? uh, They're called, uh, is it People Are Awesome? Yeah? Where people are just like for 15 minutes doing unbelievable, fantastic things, generally, you know, on bicycles or skydiving and all that. But I love those videos. And those are human beings doing that, really living life to the fullest. Yeah, Father, give us fresh eyes. So, Kevin, what's next? Yeah, we already said it all. So who is God? He's creator. He's sovereign. What has he done? He's created a home full of life and given a mandate. We just hinted at this. Given a mandate for living well as the family of humans. Who are we? The crown of creation and partners with God. That's something new. And what are we to do? And this is specifically what God commanded. Multiply and lead under the leadership of God. And if I could give you one option, and I think it's a good one to answer the question of the meaning of life, it's those two words, multiply and lead. In the scriptures with Adam and Eve, the first thing he says to them is, be fruitful, produce, and multiply, and rule over the earth. And I want to use the word lead, because the rule for us is a stumbling block, the idea of rule. We only know rule as an idea of controlling uh, dominance, and that's not what's meant. It's meant lead. So lead the earth. Lead the earth towards cities and gardens and fountains and architecture and art. Lead in that way. Lead. Multiply and lead. This is what it is to, to live in the creation as God intended. Under the leadership of God. And this is the one piece that's critical. Under the leadership of God. Did, did Adam and Eve choose to say yes to that piece of the mandate? Not for long. They started out that way, but the leadership of God was tested in this one command. I've given you all of these trees and all of these grains to eat from. I do ask that you, I do command that you not eat from this one particular tree in the center of the garden. Let's leave that alone. And if you do that, we will be partners. And we will work well together. And at some point after trying all the other trees, the temptation just became too strong. And they said, ah, we've got to try that tree. And then Satan came along in the form of a serpent and, and even enticed them all the more to say, hey, you really can't trust God. He's trying to keep you in the dark. This tree is good for understanding. And if you eat from it, you'll gain an understanding. So when Adam and Eve saw the tree that it looked like it probably tasted good, and they were given this bonus that it's good for knowledge and understanding, they said no to God's partnership. And they said yes to Satan and yes to corruption. And in that one small act, we gave up this partnership. I want to step into that second piece of the story just briefly, corruption. So the story of God and people. God created a home, life, family, and partnership. What was the effect of corruption? I'm going to turn to you guys again. What was the effect of corruption? Of sin, yeah, personal shame. In contrast to what? What was the attitude of Adam and Eve before that? Innocence, right? Yeah, they were naked and not ashamed. What else happened? Yeah, immediate separation between the only two humans. You know, well, she gave me to eat. Well. The serpent told me separation. Even before the conversation with God, you have this big separation where God shows up for his daily walk with Adam and Eve, and they don't show. They're not there, and he has to go look for them. Never had a reason to hide, and on this day they choose to hide. Yeah, what else happened? Yeah, the very next generation. We go from love to absolute hatred. What's that? Shame. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? Work. Yeah. Good. Toil. Good word. Appreciate that distinction. Yeah, we can even just look in light of these four things. What happened to the home? Yeah, but think of the earth itself, the created space. What happened? Yeah, there was division in that space. Yeah. And two things that were really significant. One was pain. Pain and childbirth. Apparently, before this happened, there was not at least as much pain. <laughs> of course, nothing had happened. No child had been born. So anyway, the, attention, the intention of God apparently was not pain. So pain came, and work, which was supposed to be fun and creative, became toil. So the, the ground started working against Adam. And... Childbirth started working against Eve. What about life, the experience of life? What happened to that? Shame came in, so that really dims the lights. What else? Yeah, right, brokenness. Yes, the intention was this creation would be eternal. Uh, All they had to do was eat from the tree of life, and that would kick in but instead they, they ate from the other tree, and so death is introduced into the story. What else happened? What happened to family? we already talked about it a little bit. Separation, murder, yeah. And then what happened to partnership? Yeah, they abandoned partnership, and so God had to send them out of the garden. And clarify, why were they sent out of the garden? Was it just because he made a great place and they didn't deserve it? Right. Yep. Yes. Right. Wouldn't that be horrifying to be left to live forever? I've been around some um, older folks. In fact, there was a season in my life when I was about 18, I worked at a hospital for a summer. uh, And I I worked in the basement of the hospital where there were apartments. And most of the people got there by getting sick or having an accident and not being able to go home. Uh, They intended when they came to the hospital to get well, but they were either too sick or too feeble or had a stroke, and they ended up moving into the basement for the rest of their life. That sounds terrible because it it was apartments and it was well lit. (laughs) It it was a daylight basement. (laughs) But what I learned at 18 uh, was there's actually a moment for believers who love Jesus deeply to be ready to die, to actually embrace death and to say, my life has been full and it's been enough. And I really want to let go. Uh, And just that affirmation that they wouldn't want to eat from the tree of life at that point because they want to die. Because they understand that the temporariness and the corruption and the brokenness is not sustainable. And it's not enjoyable. And there does become a time when you do want to be freed from that life. Absolutely. So just to sum up the last slide here the story of God and people, corruption burdened our home with pain and toil, cut short the experience of life by bringing death, tore the family apart by strife, and our partnership with God was abandoned. This is a terrible moment to end a teaching. (laughs) But I got it because this is the halfway point. So next week is going to be really, really good. Uh, and we'll look forward to talking about what happens after that. But this also is a good point to move to the table and to take a moment and to remember and to say thank you, Jesus, for a way out. Thank you for a way out. This story, if it ends here, it ends extremely badly. Uh, The sad part is, too, there are many who don't know this story, and as far as they know, this is the end of the story. There are many philosophies in our world and even if you look at philosophies like the one behind the Star Wars movies, Star Wars looks for a way to keep light and dark balanced. They look for a way to say brokenness and evil has a place and that life is just balancing the yin and the yang, the black and the white, the light and the dark. And that to me is a horrifying philosophy. Uh, There's no hope in that whatsoever. It's just this eternal mediocrity where everything is held in the life we live now. And I have to say, honestly, the life we have now has some amazing tastes to it, but it would be so cruel if this is all there is. Honestly, the tastes in my life, I feel, are just a tease for so much more. And I think every human knows, even though I'm grateful for my spouse, I pictured so much more. I pictured more in myself. I pictured more in my wife. Even though I love my children and they are good and they're special, I can imagine more. I can imagine more love, more cooperation, more beauty. Even though the world I live in has beauty in it, I imagine more. And all of that's accurate. God put within us this imagination for all that he created. And all we get right now is a taste. We know there's got to be more. We have to live. Our souls must go on. And that now I'm giving away the rest of the story. My hope in this month, as I said, is that we would know this story well and be able to tell it in our own words. So as we come in contact with people who are asking these kinds of questions, we can at least say, well, here's what I understand. Here's what I know. Here's what I believe. So let's move into um, a little bit of reflection. And as you're ready in the next couple of songs, come to the table. And our tradition is to take the bread and to dip it into the cup. The bread represents the body of Jesus. That was a sacrifice to pay the price for the corruption. His blood is a new covenant. We agree with that. We receive it and we say thank you, Jesus.